This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. This is Agents of Shield Cast, your source for the best analysis of the ABC television series Agents of Shield. With your host, Agent Andrew Johnson. If they can bring back Clark Gregg, maybe they can bring back Ed Norton. That'd be weird. Agent Bibbs Bibiani. I got all my ideas from Mr. Belvenier. Come on. Agent Gwen Reyes. Anybody that's not a huge Joss Whedon fan just really needs to pack up their whole life and move to another continent. And Agent Rod Morrow. I feel like someone just ran into your room and gave you a wedgie and then ran back out. They are the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division Critical Analysis Strike Team, a.k.a. The Shield Cast. Agents Assemble. This is episode number one of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. This is Film Geek Radio's weekly podcast devoted exclusively to discussion of the ABC television series Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm Agent Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my fellow members of the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division Critical Analysis Strike Team. First up, he is the film channel editor at CraveOnline.com and a co-host of the B-Movies podcast, Agent William Bibbs Bibiani. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shieldcast. Next up, she is a member of the Television Critics Association and a writer for RealVixen.com, Agent Gwen Reyes. Hello, everybody. And last but not least, he is an all-around comics enthusiast and the founder of the Black Guy Who Tips podcast network, Agent Rod Morrow. Welcome to Level 7, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad to be here. As always, you can email the Agents of Shieldcast at shieldcast at filmgeekradio.com, and you can access all of our episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes. If you like the show, please uh, leave us a review. That would really help us out a lot. And if you leave us a really good review, we will make you an honorary member of the Shieldcast. I promise you. We, we have some openings. We're in need of some copy editors, maybe just a secretary. Executive assistant, Andrew. Okay, executive assistant. You're right. Male or female. This show is also being recorded live at Spreecast.com. To receive updates on when we'll be recording live, you can search for Agents of Shieldcast and uh, sign up to be alerted for whenever we do a live recording. You can also follow film underscore geek underscore radio on Twitter for information on when we'll be recording live. Uh, We'll give out those handles at the end of the show. This is the first real episode of the Agents of Shieldcast. We released an introductory episode last week, and basically we're going to be discussing each episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., after it airs. If you're not a nerd, don't worry. This should all be fairly understandable. I hope. I have my fingers crossed. Today, we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 1 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's appropriately titled Pilot. It was written by executive producers of the show Joss Whedon, Jed Whedon, and Marissa Tancheron, and it was directed by the big guy himself, Joss Whedon. This is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you haven't seen this episode of the show yet, pause this podcast, go watch it, and then come back. All right, let's dive into this episode. Agent Bibbs, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. pilot? <laughs> um, <laughs> that covers a lot of it. You know, this episode has a lot to do and uh, not a lot of time to do it in. And as a result, it feels really jumbled. They're trying to introduce an entire uh, ensemble cast with their current status quo, hint at their backstory, foreshadow where they're going as characters, try to get them all to interact at least once, and then on top of that, introduce a MacGuffin character to have a sort of external plot get going. And uh, as a result, it manages to feel really dense and also kind of feel like nothing is happening. So that was kind of frustrating. I think I was hoping for a little more production value. Yes, that plane was impressive, but a lot of this show is just people talking in sparsely production design rooms. Uh, so that was a little disappointing. It ends up feeling more lo-fi than I had hoped. But uh, overall, honestly, you know, it's a lot to expect any pilot episode to knock it out of the park the first time. I think it sets up some fun characters. I think it sets up a lot of uh, interesting ideas that hopefully they can explore in future episodes. I like the humor in general. Um, it was nice that we finally had uh, a black person with superpowers in the Marvel Universe, uh, cinematic universe at any rate, even if he did get kind of a crap storyline and turn into a bad guy at the end so uh you know there's more details to talk about but my general impression is uh i'm gonna wait and see and hope it gets better than this all right agent gwyn reyes what did you think of the agents of shield pilot 
Well, I kind of have to um, agree with William. I had a big issue with um, definitely the production value with it. I think that they did as well as they could for a TV show. And I also struggled with Gunn's character. (laughs) You turned from being a reluctant superhero into a bad guy. Um, Just because I kind of was excited about having a hero of color on TV. But at the same time... Maybe he's going to come back. Maybe not. I think I was mistaken when I first saw it. I thought they killed him off. But I then when I rewatched it, I realized that he was actually just stunned. So maybe he'll come back. Maybe he'll be able to kind of harness those powers a little bit more. He is a big favorite in the Joss Whedon universe. So I think that there's a chance there. But overall, it was it was an enjoyable show. I think that it definitely, if you didn't care for it the first time, go back and try rewatching it again. I had about, um, I, I did that where I kind of gave it a little bit of breathing room and went back and rewatched it. And I enjoyed it a lot more. I see there's a lot of potential in it. And I just love Clark Gregg. He's still just the best thing in the entire world. I agree with you, uh, Gwen. I I watched it the first time just as it aired and I didn't take any notes and I just just watched it. And then when I went back a second time and took notes on it for, for this podcast, I actually enjoyed it a lot more. So I think it does improve with multiple viewings. Agent Rod Morrow, what did you think of the pilot? I loved it. And I, lo- I only watched it one time, and I loved it the first and only time that I watched it. I thought it was really cool. I actually enjoy Gunn, uh, a.k.a. J. August Richards' portrayal of Michael Peterson. I feel like he carried that episode. I thought his character was kind of corny at first, and then when he delivered that last like monologue about how he had basically lost his whole identity with the idea that there were like superpowered people just floating around the world now. I thought that was kind of cool. I wasn't bothered by production value or anything like that. I didn't expect like Marvel level like movie production or whatever. And it kind of gave me hope that maybe that means they didn't blow their wad on the first episode like too many TV shows do. And then you don't get anything for the rest of the, <laughs> the, the series because the first episode took all the money. So I'm hoping that that just means it'll be sparse. It'll be spread throughout all the episodes. It's a little bit of cool stuff. But I was cool with what they did show flying cars robot drones that do you know like that do crime scene work i really enjoyed the little stuff like the glass that where they got the fingerprints off the glass on the like electronic napkin thing that that like i thought that whole thing was cool high-tech napkins that's what we need yes. yeah uh, I, I thought it was dope and um because i think shield always has like really cool technology like that in the comic books and then of course uh i i really enjoyed a lot of the action scenes at which whedon's always done a great job at but the the fight choreography was pretty cool especially the opening scene with ward where i thought he literally broke a dude's neck (laughs) i was like wow they are going there so yeah i I was excited i liked it a lot i was kind of mixed on it like i said it improved the second time i saw it you're you're right bibs it's trying to do a lot it's trying to introduce the characters uh introduce the world catch people up in case they maybe miss the avengers movie somehow and it's trying to introduce you to this universe and then it also has this mystery of the week subplot involving uh, mike peterson played by j august richards and that subplot didn't really work very well for me i do think that they pulled it together at the end with that big confrontation with Colson and that speech. There's a lot of really interesting themes that this episode does touch on, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Overall, though, I felt like this character of Mike, I thought he was much more interesting just as an idea and as a theme rather than an actual character and an individual. And speaking of characters, let's let's start talking specifics here. I went into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. not having read up on any of it. I didn't know who the characters were going to be, who the actors were going to be. I tried to stay as blind as possible. What did you guys think of this team of agents that Coulson has pulled together? Do you think that these are going to be interesting characters to follow over the course of a series? That was the one thing about the show that was kind of weird was I didn't find to me like it seemed like generic archetypes to start off with the cast, but obviously it's our introduction to him. I guess it's kind of hard to not be a generic archetype in an hour when you're introducing like six or seven people to me. The only character that I kind of was like, I don't know if she's got the weight acting wise to hold these scenes down was uh, Sky, the character who was like a super duper hacker, underground, rising tide podcaster who was going after S.H.I.E.L.D. Like she was the only character that I kind of felt wasn't able to do everything that was might have been required of her for some of the scenes to work. 
and then of course obviously there's not a lot of color to be seen here so hopefully <laughs> that will uh change over time i thought um the lady who played uh melinda may and also uh chung lee and the legend of chung lee let's never forget that movie uh i thought she actually did a pretty good job but yeah in general uh i, I thought the cast was kind of bland but only because I don't think you can do but so much with six people in one episode. Well, I was going to say, because I think that that's a really interesting point, because I feel like maybe it would have done better if each if there had been like taken six episodes to kind of introduce all the characters and then bring them together. I feel like they really threw a lot of people at you that you're supposed to care about or know about. And it's like they all kind of blend in. And the only thing that differentiates them is that Fitzsimmons, they have their British accents, and then Ming-Na has her kick-buttness, and and I feel like there really could have been maybe taking the time and introducing that, and then at the same time allowing Richard's character, you know, Mike Peterson, to kind of maybe be a villain for a while. I feel like they th- they tried to make a little mini-movie, and it just kind of was a, it was a lot to take in. It was a lot. I grew to like the characters more the second time I saw it. The first time I saw the episode, they just came across as these really pretty bland people. And I was kind of like, okay, you've got some attractive actors here, but I'm not sure how much personality or how much character is actually here. And then on a second viewing, I realized that they were starting to drop little hints about where these characters could go. They mention that Agent Grant Ward, played mm-hmm. by Brett Dalton, who, who, in my opinion, was the most bland of all these characters. He's, he's just your typical handsome leading man. But they do drop a hint that he's got some family history, as they put it. Uh, Sky, played by Chloe Bennett, she mentioned to uh, Mike that this is not the first time that she's made someone disappear or given them a new identity. So the impression I got was that maybe she has adopted a new identity and she she doesn't reveal her her real name in this episode. So she clearly has a past. Uh, obviously, there's Agent Melinda May, who's very capable, but she's cynical of bureaucracy and there's something in her past, some event that happened. So she wants to stay out of combat as much as possible. I, I'm sure we'll find out what that is down the road. We may have a hit on one of the Rising Tide's rounding points. Good. We need to do some catching up. Is that who I think it is? She's just the pilot. Melinda Mays, just the pilot. Come on, sir. What game are you really playing? Better start your gear. Also, Phil Coulson was downplaying her, and Ward noted that. He's like, uh, that's Melinda May. You can't just say that she's just a pilot, you know? Right, so clearly she has a story that we'll learn more about as the series progresses. Um, and then, of course, you've got Phil Coulson, played by Clark Gregg, who is not dead. He is alive. He thinks that he survived, and he spent, you know, a few months in Tahiti resting up, but... As Kobe Smolders and Dr. Straighton, played by Ron Glass. Yay! Yeah, I was glad to see Ron Glass here. As they imply, you know, something else is up. There is something else going on with Coulson. Bibbs, what did you think of the characters here? Uh, oh, the characters. I, I think my biggest issue with the characters is that they all basically have the same voice, with the exception of Melinda May, who's a little bit more quiet. Everyone is witty and a little self-deprecating at times. And, you know, it's almost like an Aaron Sorkin show. Everyone speaks with the exact same sort of cadences and rhythms. And, you know, the the nerdy science types, Fitz and Simmons, they speak a little faster, but otherwise they're very much the same. And that's the thing that troubled me to begin with. But, you know, you're right. They are setting up all of these backstories, all of this foreshadowing uh, for later episodes, but they're doing it so in such a calculated fashion they're doing it in such a punchline ah did you pay attention to that line of dialogue did you, did you pay attention to that because that's going to be important later nothing felt organic about their chemistry nothing felt organic about the way that they were interacting but that said i do agree with gwen that uh, this is the pilot episode they had so much work to do just to cram everything into an episode and on top of that cram an actual plot into the episode uh that it feels like the plot could have really been anything it's just we're going to introduce a superhero and then he's going to go bad and uh then we'll we'll throw in some actual genuine interesting sounding motivations 
position so that J. August Richards will have something to work with. But it didn't really feel important to me. It just felt like that'll be a fun way to sort of spice this up and make it worth watching. But the thing I kept thinking as I was watching this episode about the characters in particular was something Joss Whedon said uh, in one of the commentary tracks on Firefly, uh, which is, uh, the pilot episode of your show is not the pilot episode of your show. The first six episodes are. Because you're getting so much work done, you're laying so much groundwork, that it's going to take that much time for the actors to fall into place, for the plot points to start revealing themselves, and for the show to sort of settle itself and figure out exactly what it is. So I'm hesitant to make too many snap judgments, and I do enjoy it. It's fun. I see a lot of potential here. But I didn't see this as, you know, oh man, I can't wait to see what these characters are doing next, because I've seen these characters before. He's James Bond, but he's not. She's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but she's a hacker. Like, eh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. As with, with all shows, it, it is going to take Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a little bit of time to find its footing, and I think uh, viewers need to be willing to give it that time and give it that space. You can't make a snap judgment about any TV show based on the pilot. And if you look at a show like Dollhouse, for example, Joss Whedon's last TV show, that's a show that didn't do very well in the ratings. It got canceled after only two seasons, mainly because, from what I remember, people just didn't stick around. And it took a good six or seven episodes for the showrunners and the writers on that program to really figure out what they were doing and what they wanted the focus of the show to be. And then once they figured that out, it got pretty good. And it's an ensemble cast. Right. In this case. So the same way after the first episode of Buffy that I watched, it was kind of like they already have a group of people together and then it's up to them to flesh out the characters. So, you know, I actually saw someone on Twitter say last night, um, how they just going to introduce this brother with no backstory. It was four minutes into the show. It was like, well, how do you make a backstory in four minutes? You know, like we do kind of have to allow a bit, a bit of it to play out. And, you know, by the time that it's done, I feel like, okay, Michael Peterson does have a backstory. And if that character comes back, I have something to reference him to. I don't feel like it's just a throwaway character necessarily, but it takes time. So I'm going to withhold judgment on some of the uh, character development until characters really have time to develop. And then if they let us down and they don't develop these characters and we're four or five episodes into the season, then uh, blast away, man. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the fact that this this is an ensemble cast because most Joss Whedon shows have an ensemble cast, yet I feel like they all have a main character. You know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer had Buffy. Angel had Angel, obviously. Dollhouse had uh, Echo. Who is the main character in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Is it Phil Coulson? Or is is S.H.I.E.L.D. just the group, this team? Is that supposed to be the main character? Do you guys think that this show will be able to succeed if it doesn't have, like, a primary main character that it chooses to focus on? I don't know. I think... You think yes? Well, I think it can. I think, uh, you know, you look at a show like Lost, that had like a, basically a trio or or a quartet of main characters. I think that can potentially work, but what S.H.I.E.L.D. has going against it that something like Lost or uh, uh, didn't was um, it had a one-hour pilot as opposed to a two-hour pilot to sort of introduce everyone and let them breathe. And also, the other thing the show has, I think, going against it in terms of at least introducing the characters. I'm not necessarily judging the characters. I'm judging how the pilot introduced them. The other thing the show has against it is uh, all the characters are kind of on an even keel. There's no one, you know, necessarily in too much in charge of everyone else. Coulson technically is, but he doesn't really treat that responsibility like it makes him different than anyone. And uh, there's, again, there's just not a whole lot of internal conflict yet between everyone. So not everyone really got a chance to really show their stuff. Everyone was already kind of like, all right, we got to solve this problem and we'll work together more or less. And uh, that doesn't really give you a chance to show off all the characters. I, I think there's a lot of potential here. and I think it can work, but I think with this episode, it definitely lacked the focus it needed. I would disagree with you a, a little bit there, Bibbs. I think that they tried to give each character a little moment to shine. They gave Fitz and Simmons their time at the end to produce the, the special... But that's a plot thing. That's a plot thing. That's not a moment to shine as in terms of a character interaction. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. They got to show their function. They didn't necessarily get to show their chops. Right. Okay. That's a good point. I I do like, though, how they did a good job, I think, in showing that Phil Coulson, he's a good leader. That's his main 
attribute. He's not necessarily good with computers or good with combat, but he's a good leader. He's good at talking. He's good at diplomacy. And he, he knows how to motivate people. And that scene at the end when he confronts Mike about what's going on and they have that little showdown, that to me was good enough to almost re- to redeem that subplot involving Mike that, that until that point had been pretty clunky. I agree. I think um, Coulson is the glue. I don't know if that makes him the main character. Unlike, you know, Buffy or Angel where the main character is also the most baddest of the asses. He's just kind of like, like you said, a good leader. And that speech he gave, the thing that that made me go back and kind of like think about the whole episode was how in Avengers, he's almost like the audience, the voice of the audience, where it's, oh, my God, the awe of being around these people. You know, he's like, can you sign my Captain America cards type, you know, in the in Avengers, the movie. But here we get to see him outside of that setting where he's in command. And it's a co- totally different portrayal and i and i enjoyed that too that he where he's like yeah um i'm telling you guys what to do you guys kind of work for me and especially that last scene when he talks to uh jay august rich to michael peterson and he's like yeah i've been around these people and i definitely paid the price for getting to be in that company of these gods and i really bought that scene so i would say colson is the main character as of right now but um hopefully you know they'll be able to move more people to the forefront throughout this season yeah i i want to talk a little bit more about that scene just because i think it really crystallizes some of the main themes and some of the subtext that was running through this episode uh one of the main themes that you have is this idea of the role of government you know you've got sky who's very skeptical of shield and the men in suits meanwhile you've got colson who thinks he's doing good shields for world peace they're going to contain superheroes rather than exploit them so that's a good thing joss whedon shows and even the avengers to a certain extent they're all in many ways about this idea of the system and corporations and individuals and that conflict that can that can occur between uh, these large institutions and individual people. You know, when Mike confronts his boss, his boss blames the company. You know, it's not me. I'm not the bad guy. The company is the bad guy. Later on in the episode, Mike pretty much blames the government and blames the man. He blames the system for everything that's happened to him. That, to me, I think is going to be a really interesting theme throughout the course of the series. Just just exploring is Shield actually the good guy or is there some darkness to it as well? Gwen, did you have any thoughts on that? I really like that kind of balance of like, is S.H.I.E.L.D. good or bad or what their intentions are? And then also paired with the the centipede company that has been kind of experimenting on people because maybe like their intentions are good, but they've just only been creating sort of like very, very badly mutated people. And I'm really interested to kind of see, especially knowing Whedon and and his mentality. I mean, we know Joss isn't going to be having a a big hand in this, but Jed will definitely be tapping into it is his ability to kind of like mix and mingle those two items. So I'm I'm kind of interested in seeing what's good and what's bad and and also the balance of corporate versus underground with Sky's podcast and all that stuff and seeing if she's going to do that while joining the team still. What do you mean by bad? I learned to trust the government. Obviously, they're doing good things. Right? <laughs> That's true. They're able to clean up a whole city in the middle of the night. I mean, we can't even get potholes filled in Dallas, but the government can come in and clean up a whole city. I'm very fascinated by that. You know, they, they could clean up a whole city, but they couldn't sweep up those like 20 rocks that uh, that gun made when he jumped up, when he landed on the ground. <laughs> when like Ming-Na shows up and she's just like, it's the exact same. Like no one even just like those around and sort of clear out the street. Yep. I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, last week on our introductory episode, Dibs, you and Rod said that you were kind of hoping that the show might tie into like real world events and try to allegorize uh, real life concerns. I mean, given everything that's happened over the past few months with like the NSA surveillance and everything, I definitely think that the general public has a lot of cynicism towards the government and and that idea of surveillance and you know men in suits watching you and we get a few hints in this episode that shield might be occupying that position agent maria hill shows up kobe smolders has a cameo and she does mention that this guy 
Mike Peterson that he's unregistered. Mm. So are we supposed to believe that S.H.I.E.L.D. is requiring everyone with powers to register and that they're trying to really, really keep tabs and they've got this huge surveillance system in place to monitor everything that's going on? Well, I remember last week um, I brought up the Superhumans Registration Act that S.H.I.E.L.D. was, they were responsible for in the comic as far as the carrying out of it. And the allusion to that or whatever, if they, especially if they, you know, actually take it there, could be really cool. It could be a really good uh, impetus for a lot of action on the show if part of their job is to track down super unregistered people and register them and, quote unquote, bring them into the fold. Uh, that could be uh, really cool and also delve into just the idea of what is privacy, what is surveillance, what exactly is okay about saying you can do great things, but you have to come work with us. I'm really looking forward to see uh, how that plays out. I agree. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, I mean, like that's 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 a good that's a good theme to explore. It's a good use of Shield. It's um, I don't know. I, I just find it kind of clunkily introduced, and I'm also a little afraid of of this turning into a superhero of the week show mm-hmm. as opposed to a monster of the week. But um, again. I'm not judging the show or, or anything it can do based on this pilot episode. I, I really kind of see this as a 0.5 right now. So uh, I'm going to wait a few episodes to see what I actually expect it to do. But I would hope that at the very least they're going to continue to to milk the current cultural mindset for, for stories. I mean, that's the bare minimum that they can do. Well, one of you a few minutes ago brought up the fact that there's not a lot of color in S.H.I.E.L.D., it's 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 a bunch of white guys in suits for the most part. And and Rod, I want to get your your take on this because you host the Black Guy Who Tips podcast network and you, and you talk a lot about race on your show. Did you pick up any racial subtext in that final confrontation? I mean, you, you've got that big showdown in Union Station, and then there's that slow motion shot of Mike Peterson falling in front of that mural. Yeah. It's it's a it's a mural by artist uh Richard Wyatt. It's called City of Dreams River of History and it's it's a mural of the native and ethnic groups that originally populated Los Angeles. And then when he confronts Agent Colson and calls him out and, and says, you know, you took uh my wife, you took my job, you took my house. You think this is killing me? All over there's people being pushed down, being robbed, and one of them tries to stand up. You make an example out of him. All you do is lie. He says, uh, you said if you worked hard, if we did right, we'd have a place. You said it was enough to be a man, but there's better than man. There's gods and the rest of us. What are we? I I definitely felt like there was a little bit of racial or certainly class tension in that exchange where you have this black man who's out of a job calling out the government, calling out the man, calling out this white guy saying – this isn't fair. You've made us all these promises, but none of it has come to fruition. And now with the addition of superheroes, we're even lower on the food chain than we were before. Am I overthinking it or did you pick up on any of that? For me personally, I didn't see any of that. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) That was actually uh, one of the reasons that I really loved this episode. And I don't think uh, Mike Peterson was a throwaway character. Because the character had depth. And in that last scene, especially, Phil Coulson was just the man. Like, he might as well have just shown up and been the white man uh, on his chest for that scene. Because that dude was just venting about how he felt he had gotten this shit part of life. And his entire, like, pursuit of happiness storyline was just coming to a head right there. So there was a lot of, like, one percenter, the one percent versus uh, the 99 kind of thrown in there. There was just this idea of also this American dream that uh, this man felt, you know, that he had been excluded from, uh, especially when, you know, you consider like in real life, the black unemployment rate is higher than every other demographic of unemployment. Like there is this idea of like, what is the American dream and who was promised that and uh, who kind of deserves that in people's eyes. So it got a little bit preachy, obviously, but he was roid raging. So let's be, you know, <laughs> he was, he might not have had to clear his head, but, um, I enjoyed that so much when, when he got there and when Colson was kind of like gave him the response of like, Hey, I understand. And I was like, Oh, he's going to calm down. 
and then they shot him uh i actually almost cried i was like why does the black man have to get shot (laughs) (laughs) and uh i felt so relieved when it turned out that that was a cure and not just uh them killing him so uh yeah i definitely picked up on that and it was kind of why i was able to uh walk away and go okay there's no black people in the main cast as of yet but this isn't a colorblind show as far as like we don't see anyone's issues but white people's issues so i was cool with it i like the scene uh at the beginning when uh his son is looking at all the toys of the avengers and he asks which ones do you like and he looks really disinterested and a part of me was just like yeah they're all a bunch of rich white guys (laughs) (laughs) probably none to speak of i thought that was really cool there was a moment and and there's a moment when he like he flips up his hood and everyone's like oh what do we what do we make of this black guy in a hood and i'm like oh i hope they're not going to follow that too closely that might be a little that might be a little dark shoot him now <laughs> right like they, they really could have gone there and it would have still been topical but i think it might have been a bit much yeah. right out of the gate so uh anyway that was those were the, i just threw the other two things that i uh i thought worth mentioning about that but i liked again i really liked that this was addressed right off the bat what about him confronting his boss that was a good scene too that was a good scene that was a good scene and um i like the simple, you know, we're, we're, we're reducing a lot of the world's problems into, in, in real life, into an us versus them mentality, whether it's, uh, the 99% versus the 1% of the Republicans versus the Democrats. And we're turning a lot of these things not into, uh, cultural differences or, or, or value differences or philosophical differences, but into you're wrong and I'm right. And in a world of superheroes where you're wrong and I'm right is tends to be resolved with punching through walls. That can turn someone very wrong. Right. And I like the way that this issue addressed that. And again, I really liked what they did with this character. I just kind of wish he didn't have to share the screen with the introduction of every other character. It would have been nice to really explore this further because, well, they thought this out and thank God they did. Otherwise, this episode would have been interminable. I feel like he almost got the short shrift. And so when he did get a big moment, like at the end with that slow motion shot, which is a little on the nose. Yeah. A little on the nose. You know, they had to really oversell it in order to make it seem worthwhile and dramatic. So, uh, again, I liked it. I just think it was kind of pigeonholed into an episode that maybe should have had a different focus so that this really good topic could have been covered elsewhere with the, the, the attention deserved. I also enjoyed his turn. I forgot to mention that part because it does turn like twice because it goes from, hey, he's just a good guy that just can't get a job. He looks in the newspaper instead of online to find jobs and you know he's struggling but hopefully he can get back on his feet guys and then it turns into him being kind of like yo man fuck a job i got these superpowers and nobody's hiring and you're like oh no fuck this guy he's totally a piece of shit (laughs) (laughs) that speech and you're like okay you've kind of had it been hot on your luck uh you haven't killed anyone yet maybe there's hope for you and then they're like then you think he's dead and then he comes back and it's like well he's he'll live he'll be okay so i enjoy his twist and maybe like like uh bib said maybe if they had done this later when all the characters were kind of fleshed out they could have really like gone into it even more and maybe even other characters could have really got to interact with them because i would have liked to see like him and ward in the scene him and Cole, you know like him and um the nerds in the scene or something like that but you know we didn't really get that because they had to wrap it up yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Rod. As, as great as the production values are on the show and as flashy as it is at times, I really think the show is going to live or die uh, by its characters and its themes, and I'm glad to see that they're getting these ideas out there in the pilot episode. And just this whole idea of individuality and institutions and whether or not these large institutions are forces for good or evil, I also think that that's this, it's this weird kind of meta idea that may come to define the show because, you know, this is Marvel we're talking about. This is a huge corporation. This is a huge franchise. They've got movies. they got this TV show. they got comics. They're trying to tie it all together. So just thinking about this idea is I'm just just asking myself, okay, will Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. be able to retain its individuality? Will it be able to, to have its own voice, to make a name for itself? Or... Will it ultimately just become part of the the Marvel machine and not really have its own real identity? So how should we view the man, guys? Should we view Marvel as as the good guys or should we view them as the the men in suits who are going to come take away everything that we love? 
Here's the thing with Marvel, and I love this about Marvel. Marvel started out as the underdog. They went into bankruptcy. They pulled themselves out of bankruptcy. Their movies were starting to come out. They were really hit and miss, and they started to make their own movies, and everyone's like, wow, Marvel knows how to do them right. And then they became this huge multi-billion dollar institution. Uh, they come up with two movies every year, and they're always big hits, and everyone, generally speaking, really, really likes them, and we love them, and they're awesome, and they're the voice of the people. They just happen to be a big corporation. And then eventually, we're going to get like the special editions or Phantom Menace uh, in this Marvel universe, and we're all going to turn on them and say there's this big corporation they don't care. So I think at the moment, we're just like, yeah, keep making good stuff that we like, and the second that they stop, we're going to be like, fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you, and, and you were still kind of cool, Iron Man, I dig you, but everyone else, we're out. And um, so again, I think right now, we're just riding the high of a consistently high level of quality from these guys. Uh, and so uh, I, I don't see Marvel as the man. Now, obviously, institutions within Marvel are the man, but that's kind of what's always made Marvel so great is that they've worked with broad superhero allegories. So uh, I think they're self-aware enough to to make something like S.H.I.E.L.D. work in an entertainment level and a socio-political allegory level. Uh, but as what they are, uh, they're a big corporation that just hasn't pissed us off yet. So I'm waiting for that to happen. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be a bomb eventually. I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. may be the deciding factor because this is a show that a lot of people have been excited for. It's got the Whedons attached. But even though you have Joss Whedon and, and Jed Whedon attached to the show, their history, they've done really small shows. And they've been given a lot of creative leeway in, in some instances. So some people are doubtful, you know, will they be given the freedom working within this huge franchise to really make something interesting and good? Or will they just be forced to play it safe in order to reach the most people possible and in order to, to fit uh, more smoothly into this grander vision? So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the course of the, of the series. Will every episode from now on feel as safe in some ways as the pilot, or will we see it start to take more risks? I don't know. I kind of hope that it will take risks. I, I hope that that, you know, finally a show that is paving the way for for them to to maybe dip a little bit. But working within those constraints of the Marvel Universe and also knowing what they have to do, I think there's a lot of creativity that's possible of having boundaries. Um, but at the same time, I think that coming in and having the show that does have all of this buzz and excitement behind it, people are going to be wanting to tear it down even harder than they normally would if it was just a movie or something else, because now this is going to be people that are going to be in your lives every week. There's the hope that these are going to become characters that are your best friends. Yeah, I think if Joss Whedon had fucked up at some point before now, I'd be more pessimistic, but I'm not really concerned at all. I'm waiting for him to have that first, like, oh, what the hell was that, Joss Whedon, before I feel like I'm going to start questioning his product. Right now, if he was a drug dealer, his cocaine is of the purest fucking quality. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wait till I'm no longer high before I start pissing on it. So I'm, I'm not even worried right now. Just uh, hopefully this man, uh, this man just continues to knock out these hits. And uh, Marvel as an institution, the problem with, with Marvel as an institution as, as, is that there's these things called comic books and they've let everyone down so many times there that I don't even like the bar for me is so low compared to the <laughs> before we get to the point where I'm disappointed like I'm waiting for Spider-Man to be a clone before I start getting uh yelling about shield like it, it, it they really have a very low long way to go um as a person that continues to read comic books the shit in the comic books is not even close to the quality of what we see on the screen so I I'm not mad yet okay <laughs> I think that's a good segue into one of our final topics. In our introductory episode, we speculated as to the extent to which Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV show, was going to mesh in with the, the Marvel films and that universe. And they did it right here in the pilot with this first epi episode. They're bringing up Extremis, which played a major role in Iron Man 3. And I was not expecting that. I was expecting them to maybe set up some stuff that maybe we'll see further explored in future movies like Thor 2 or Captain America 2 but they went back to Iron Man 3 
And that got me a little bit confused. And part of me found the episode a little bit hard to follow because I was just trying to figure out when is this taking place? Is this taking place before Iron Man 3, before they figured out who was in charge of Project Centipede, as they call it here, and, and Extremis? Or is this taking place after Iron Man 3 and somehow Extremis has been resurrected and there's some new big bad guy out there that we should be worried about? Mm-hmm. That's possible, I suppose. But for me, it looked like it was taking place afterwards because, uh, A, they knew what Extremis was and no one did before the events of Iron Man 3. I- I'm not entirely sure that AIM is behind Centipede uh, because the AIM has already been introduced to fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and there's no reason not to use them. What is AIM? Advanced Idea Mechanics. It was the think tank that was introduced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Iron Man 3. They're the ones behind Extremis. They are often used uh, in the comics as a foil for S.H.I.E.L.D., partially because they also have an acronym for a name and partially just because they're just science-based bad guys. I honestly don't understand why, if they were going to have AIM, the people behind Extremis, uh, uh, behind Centipede or, or, or whatever, Rising Tide even, whatever you want to call it in this new series. Uh, I don't know why they wouldn't just use it. So I imagine it's another company. And they say that the thing that turns uh, J. August Richards into a superhero slash villain in this is a cocktail of everything that's ever given anyone superpowers. And I don't think we had any evidence in Iron Man 3 that they had the ability to get any kind of super soldier serum or, or anything like that. If it were, this is a tie-in to anything we've seen before, I think it's probably a little more likely that it's something to do with, like, the leader who we saw in The Incredible Hulk, who had his origin at the end of The Incredible Hulk, who had access to a phony super soldier serum, who had access to gamma radiation, and and for all we know is part of AIM. That's a big conspiracy theory. I have no idea if that's true or not, but that's the only thing that I think we've seen before that would make sense. Uh, That or it's Ultimatum or Centipede is a weird acronym that we haven't come up with yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it could just be something new. When we when they introduced the 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 organization Rising Tide, my first thought was, "Is that Atlantis?" And then I'm like, "No, that's way too obvious. They would never do that. That's stupid." I mean, this could be Hydra cut back again. This could be the Serpent Society. This could be anything. So I don't think we have enough information to do anything but speculate. But it's so much fun to speculate. It is. Gwen, as far as I'm aware, you're like me, and you don't have a whole lot of. Uh, knowledge about the comics and your main exposure to the Marvel Universe has been through the movies. Mm -hmm. Were you confused at all by how they inserted extremists in here? Um, You know, what's so funny is that I don't think I was because I haven't seen Iron Man 3 yet. And so so I was I kind of went into it just, you know, being with again, within the whole constructs of what the Marvel films have have given me, that didn't bother me at all, because I just was like, okay, something's happening, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, well, well it's interesting, Bibbs, that you say that you thought it was taking place after Iron Man 3, because I thought it was taking place before Iron Man 3. So did I. What evidence is there to support that, really? I mean, I'm curious, because maybe I missed it. I thought maybe they would have mentioned more stuff that happened in Iron Man 3 if this was taking place after. I thought they would have given a shout out to uh, to Guy Pierce's character, Killian, if this was taking place after Iron Man 3. Just to throw a throwaway line like, oh, we got Killian, so who's this new bad guy right. introducing extremists? But that's an absence of evidence. That's not evidence of absence. What I picked up from it was, first they said, um, when they started it, they were like, last night Americans went to bed with this, and then they woke up after New York and saw this uh that you know there are superheroes and stuff and then also when Coulson talked about spending months in Tahiti they had this look like oh he clearly doesn't know like how much time has passed and what happened to him and then also um the, the extremist thing from my understanding it was Tony Stark discovering like extremists not that like some of the people they had even like used in these experiments there had been attacks for a while and they they were like uh soldiers and stuff like that right so it makes sense that there could be people that knew about extremists that just weren't Tony Stark in yeah. Iron Man 3 and that people knew about it before he knew about it, but he wasn't in the know. And yet they did nothing? Um, well, I mean, obviously this is still trying to do something. Yeah. It's like, we know all about this extremist thing. We'll just let Tony Stark handle it without his Iron Man suit. That's fine. You can make that same joke about any single Marvel character movie. People make that comment about the movies, but they never made that comment about the comics, ever. Yeah. Like, why is Wolverine doing this? Why isn't the whole X-Men? It's like, because they're busy. They have their own comic. Yeah. <laughs> they're busy. And we, we, we're not allowed to say this in the movies. Like, they're not busy. There hasn't been a Thor movie in years. Well, screw you. That's kind of my thing with uh, Chill thing is that they have to have, you know, they have to write issues that 
shield can kind of quote unquote solve that honestly we can probably make something out every episode we're like well wouldn't uh tony stark just fly in and, and do this mm-hmm. or wouldn't they reach out to this person and you know I, I feel like we're gonna probably be able to say that a hundred times throughout the course of the 13 episodes that they have written so far or whatever i do feel like if three episodes from now we find out that this is before iron man 3 i won't be like oh my god they just blew my mind away right and i am waiting for them to kind of define the time because with all these moving parts and all these damn movies, I'm going to need some clarity on exactly when shit is happening because it's going to matter. You know, like shit is going to be major in some of these movies where it's like this major thing is happening. And I want to know, like, how does this relate to this universe? And not just me, all nerds. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do. The fucking time. So uh, I didn't feel that they clarified it. And I hope they're not keeping it muddy on purpose so they can just do whatever they want and then just act like it has no effect on the timeline because that will piss me off. I was confused by the timeline and I believe in the background in one of the scenes in the control room you can see Iron Man flying around briefly. And I was thinking, well, wait, spoiler for Iron Man 3, at the end he kind of gives up the suit. So is this before Iron Man 3? I, I got the impression it takes place after Avengers but before Iron Man 3. And in general, I just, I don't want to see this extremist storyline again. I hated Iron Man 3. I hated extremists. Oh, can we, can we boot him from the podcast? <laughs> Is there like a button? If I press this X, does that do that? <laughs> I hope that they only brought this in for the pilot to be like, hey, look, we are connected to the to the movies yeah. and you're familiar with this. So so I, I, I hope that they just did it to bring some familiarity to the proceedings. I hope that this doesn't rear its head yeah. later on, just because I'm not a big fan of everything with extremists. Me neither. We ran an interview with them uh, at Crave Online with uh, Jed Whedon and Melissa Tensharon. And we asked about extremists. Was that a big deal? And they were just like, no, we did the show. We wrote the show. And then we saw Iron Man 3 or we found out what they were doing with Iron Man 3. And it's like, oh, that'd be a good thing to throw in since we already have this cocktail of superpowers. So that was just an afterthought to sort of tie it in. They thought that would be fun. I hope so. They just said it would be neat. So, and I think that's fine. I hope it's an afterthought. Less to do with Iron Man 3, the better. (laughs) I, I agree. Oh, what the hell? Why is everyone turning on Iron Man 3 all of a sudden? What the hell? You're like those guys who, like, two years after the fact say, like, The Dark Knight Rises was terrible. No, I'm not one of those people, but... Well, The Dark Knight Rises was terrible. It was pretty bad. Shut up! All right, you're out. (laughs) Andrew is crazy there. (laughs) But as far as Iron Man 3, that dude gave up his superpowers for a girlfriend, and I hate that in every single superhero movie. It makes women look like the least fun people on the earth. <laughs> he didn't give up his superpowers for his girlfriend. He still has superpowers. He still has an Iron Man suit. He gave up his his horrible, debilitating disability. Now he delete he he destroys all his suits at the end of Iron Man, and I so pissed because that that's supposed to symbolize love like look i'm no longer helping people <laughs> i thought it was supposed to symbolize him like not living with a crutch anymore but <laughs> i have the same problem with women doing you know giving up their job for a man so i totally understand yes i hate that man like remember when clark Kent gave up his power in superman 2 the fuck was that it's <laughs> greek man stop for people who write movies women can be more than just like no fun police <laughs> All right. Well, those are all the main topics I wanted to hit on in this podcast. Are there any other things that happened in this episode? Any other things that were revealed or anything you noticed that you would like to talk about? Yeah, I got a couple. Uh, Ward is apparently the best super agent since uh, Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow. When it comes to espionage, yes. I'm sorry. I was trained from day one as a specialist. I go in alone. I get it done. Defusing a nuclear bomb, I'm your guy. A welcoming committee, not my speed. I know it's not what you want. Agent Hill did a very detailed assessment of your last three missions. Combat, top grades, espionage. She gave you the highest marks since Romanoff. Under people skills, she drew a, I think it's a little poop with knives sticking out of it. What? That's bad, right? And given your family history, I'm surprised it's not worse. If he's a porcupine or a piece of crap with needles in it. He's prickly, is what that meant. Very prickly. Um, I love the scene where Coulson uses the truth serum on Ward. Yes. Yes. The reverse true lies scene. Yeah, and so weeding. It was just so like, oh, yeah, do it, dog. So I appreciated that. 
I also like that the little uh extremists and all this kind of all goes back to Captain America, Steve Rogers. They bring up the scientist who originally uh gave uh Captain America his powers as like the impetus for like, yeah, you know, they're experimenting on people and ever since this and it's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. That's everything in Marvel goes back to that moment. Goes back to the Nazis. Yep, trying to help <laughs> defeat them Nazis, man. But yeah, that that was real cool. So um those are the three like little notes that I had. talk about i just want to jump on what you said rod i love that scene with the truth serum and i actually hope that that truth serum comes back in later episodes because that is a device that could be used to reveal some interesting character stuff and and character development so i'm I'm hoping that they will bring that back i thought that that was great i think it's like put it in someone's drink and then just suddenly they start blabbing over as an audience like why the fuck is he telling all the secrets and like (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, all I have to do is inject Ron Glass's character, uh, Dr. Doctor Schrader, and he's um, he's just going to automatically reveal what's up with Coulson. There you go. That's a good idea. Uh, there, there's two more things I want to discuss really briefly. One thing that I liked and one thing that I didn't particularly care for. One is just a cute little thing is when uh, Lola flies at the end. One of the things I was hoping since they announced this show was that we'd see Nick Fury's flying Ferrari. But I think Coulson's flying Corvette uh, is is pretty close. So that made me really happy. I got to be honest, I was not a fan of of the Lola stuff, and I'm not sure if it's just because it seemed like a flashy pilot thing to do, like just attack on at the end, like, hey, look, we're expensive, we can do special effects like this, tune in next time. And I kind of wished that they had kept Lola a mystery a while because as soon as they introduce her, you find out that she has flamethrowers. And I, I, <laughs> I was kind of thinking to myself, okay, I hope that they build this up a little bit. I hope that they give us time to really anticipate seeing Lola in action and what she can do. And I was a little bit let down that they just went ahead at the end and, and showed us that she can fly. Maybe you're not a red-blooded American male. <laughs> Maybe you didn't like Back to the Future. Maybe that's it. That shit made my dick hard. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, that is the best way to end this shit. I can't wait for more Lola cool shit to happen. I can't wait for Lola to get her own personality and get like a like an AI chip or something, and then she'll like oh. make it. She'll go out on dates with Jarvis. Yeah. Oh great. That's a car and make out point, and it's just like a like an iPod in the front seat, and just hears lipping smacking noises. I think you guys are already writing your Lola fan fiction right now. We are. <laughs> are you kidding? Yes. Get on it, guys. Fifty Shades of Lola. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing, and this is the things when I talk about production values, I don't necessarily mean on the screen. When I talk about production values, I was disappointed. I just felt like it would have been nice if there were a few more extras hanging around Shield, just making it look like a real organization. Just, just throw some guys in suits in the back, and it'll make it feel less confined. But the other thing that made it seem just not as big or not as good as it could have was um, the score felt really canned. It felt mm. like they just come up with a bunch of d- vaguely like spy sounding dramatic cues and just use them wherever as opposed to shows that have a really great score like for example Battlestar Galactica or Lost where it feels like we've got a recurring theme but we're adapting it to every scene that we're using so that it works best and I just the score didn't draw me in the score actually took me out of a couple of scenes so that was it for me that was the only other complaint I I agree with you Bibbs and I was a little bit surprised by that because the score was done by Bear McCreary who did the music for Battlestar Galactica and The Walking Dead he's a great composer and the score kind of ruined a moment for me. Uh, it's that scene where Fitzsimmons and Melinda May are investigating the bomb site, and Fitz has got his little robots going all over the place, and they find the, uh, the camcorder, and he calls it a name. And I couldn't hear what the name of his little robot was because the score kicked in right at that minute with like Mm -hmm. a little blast. And I played it back multiple times. I was just trying to figure out, wait, he named his robots? What's the name of that robot? Is that going to be like a recurring gag? It was bashful. It was bashful? Yeah, because you saw it on the screen when you saw the video it was taking. It was bashful. I think he named them after the the dwarves. Oh, okay, okay. I thought he said like Parcival or something and I was like what is this and yeah the score just kind of burst in there and 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 drowned out that line but yeah what were you going to say about Bear McCreary Bibbs? Oh no nothing it's just you're right he's a he's a very very talented man he did fantastic work for Battlestar Galactica right off the bat so it's just kind of weird that this um it doesn't need to stand out but it didn't need to get in the way either so yeah I was just kind of bummed about it um Gwen you want to take us out on anything? Well, I'm like you guys, I'm kind of just really excited to see more. I just, I can't wait to see next week's episode. I think that it ended on a really good cliffhanger. 
I'm already getting attached to some of the characters. I want to see more of Ming-Na. I'm really excited for Melinda's character to kind of grow and show a little bit more. And, and it's nice to see kick-butt women on TV that are going to be kind of more interesting than we normally see. I want to find out more about Agent Ward's family history because right now he's just Mr. Handsome. He, he doesn't seem to have much personality. He's so personality. bland. I'm bored yeah. with him already. Yeah, and it's not really – I don't think it's necessarily the actor's fault. I, I don't think it's it's Rhett Dalton's fault. It just seems like the pilot didn't do much to to really give his, his character a, a spark of life. He, he's just kind yeah. of there. And Whedon shows have had issues with casting in the past, but they always seem to figure out what to do with the actors they're working with eventually. So I'm hoping that that will be the case with this show. I'm just really, my heart hurts for Coulson, though. I'm like, what's going to happen? You know, once he finds out what he really is, I'm very worried about Coulson. I just want to give him all the hugs. Well, there was a moment. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Um, I noticed it the second time I was watching. Uh, when there's that scene when the doctor and Agent Hill are kind of mm-hmm. uh, about to reveal that, oh, something's up with Coulson. Coulson walks away from them. And as he's walking away, he touches his face. And it looks like he's like wiping away a tear or, or touching something on his eye. And I was like, was that intentionally put there? Or is that like a little clue? That maybe he suspects something or he knows that he's not the real Bill Coulson? Or was that just Clark Gregg touching his face as he walked away? <laughs> you know? I want to know more about Centipede also. Because I feel like they set that up as some shit that's going to mean something yeah. later, too. Because there's like a science lady that was like, uh, when Gunn comes to her hospital bed, is like, the fuck are you mm-hmm. doing here? So obviously there's something sinister afoot with that. And we need to know what that acronym what that acronym is going to be. <laughs> Central Electrogenesis Nanotechnology Intelligence Powers Enhancement Design Enforcement. It's better than Ultimatum. Yeah, I'm working on <laughs> Did you just come up with that off the top of your head? <laughs> no. <laughs> Rodimus wrote it down. It's in the, it's in the comments. Oh. <laughs> I wish I had. How cool would that have been? Oh, my God. Woo. I wasn't looking at the chat room. I was really impressed. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, I couldn't take credit for it. He's right here. there were some characters too that i hope like uh there's this lady that's kind of seems like a prostitute or something that sees a (laughs) fight to the death in her face and is like all right guys i'm out of here so i want to know if that's going to be a character or if that's just like a throwaway this is what prostitutes (laughs) do guys so because i feel like everything seems so important in weed and stuff I love how you assume that a woman in her underwear in her own hotel room needs to be a prostitute. She's a prostitute. <laughs> Could just be a woman in her own underwear. I thought she was like a super spy who's just like, well, I'm found out. I'm going to let these guys take care of it. And I'm going to walk calmly out of the building so I don't get chased because I'm a total badass. <laughs> well, apparently you guys haven't watched enough Alias because that happens every episode. Exactly, right? And she's not a prostitute usually, so I don't under... Mm. Yeah, she's like, I'm in my underwear, but I... Uh... I'm a super spy. I just did this to get inside. So I'm hoping that maybe there's some of these throwaway moments actually are, aren't throwaway moments. Maybe it'll be a recurring gag, like Agent Ward will be on some mission on the <laughs> other side of the world in some other random building, and then he'll run into that same woman again, and she'll just sigh, and they'll just keep doing that. It turns out she's the Watcher. <laughs> it's weird. It's like a major retcon, but yeah, she's the Watcher. She's been the Watcher the whole time. The last thing I want to say is that, man, they were doing everything they could to draw in some geeks and some nerds in this episode. They give a shout out to uh, Harry Potter. Yep. At one point, they give a mm-hmm. shout out to uh, cosplaying, which I couldn't decide if that was like a compliment for their fans or if that was like a slam. <laughs> like you nerds that are watching this, screw I you. like that cosplaying exists in a universe with actual superheroes and they'll just show up at Stark Tower. I loved that. I kind of thought that was cute. And she did know to be ashamed. Why should she be ashamed? She just isn't necessarily like, these guys look down on it. So yeah, okay, I'm not gonna, but like, she did it. She must be cool with it. I want to know what she cosplayed as. I hope she finds out that Coulson collects those fucking cards so she can pull that back up. Like, oh, cosplay, motherfucker. I don't have Captain American cards. Nice. American cards. All right. Is there anybody in the chat room that has questions for us or observations, things they want us to discuss? Here's one. Is Andrew a nerd that hates everything? (laughs) No, I like most of the Marvel movies. I will even defend Iron Man 2, but I hated Iron Man 3. What? And apparently Batman Rises. uh, Yeah, that didn't do much for me. I I love Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, but Dark Knight Rises, no, that, that movie was a mess. Sorry. 
Andrew's more of a uh, critic that hates everything. You guys should listen to his podcast, Cinema Fix, man. It's it's good, and uh, it gives me the proper amount of anger <laughs> and disdain. Aww. And also entertainment. Anytime people give opinions, I always get anger and disdain. That's not... That's not anything to be ashamed of. Um, Brent says, am I the only one who instantly identify Agent Coulson as representing the man in the climactic scene? No, I think we talked about that, yeah. No, I think we already talked about that, though. Brent also says, one more thing. Did you notice Mike's boss indirectly called him lazy in the first scene? Yes, we did. It was gross. It was even more messed up because, like, he broke his back. It wasn't even, like, something where it's like, you didn't come to work on time. It's like, yo, I broke my back. Well, you can't work here again. <laughs> That's what you get. All you minorities constantly breaking your back for art. Wait a minute. Wow, yeah, good point, actually. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, someone said, what's your favorite comic? Ever or right now? or That's a big question. Bibbs, you just you, you answer that one how you want to, and I'll, I'll follow you up, man. Sandman Mystery Theater. It's a really underrated okay. Vertigo comic uh, about basically an early pulp hero fighting serial killers as if they were supervillains in the 1930s and 40s. And it's got a lot of really impressive uh, historical context that makes every story really pop. I think it's underrated and I love it. All right. I will check that out. Uh, Andrew, I know you say you don't really read comics. Do you have any? I don't read a lot of comics, but I try to read Watchmen every year or two just because that is such a great work of literature so if, if you're somehow listening to this and you haven't read watchmen read watchmen it is like the wire of comics yeah definitely by which i mean pretentious people love it oh fuck yeah. you <laughs> smart people love the wire uh, i love both of those things uh what about you uh gwen is there any comics that you read or i liked manga growing up so i really love sailor moon and ranma one half and so those are ones that and i know that they relaunched sailor moon so i'm still a huge fan Cool. Um, for me right now, man, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man is my favorite book. Um, the one with Miles Morales. I uh, just love that story. And I appreciate that Marvel's doing it right as opposed to just rushing through some shit. So let's see what else we got here in the chat. The last thing is someone put a picture of Nick Fury's Ferrari that flies. Yeah. Can we, can we see that? Where is that? Oh, I'll put it on the screen right now. Let's see. Yeah. Look at that. Nice. What's going on with that color scheme, though? I had a nail polish that did that when I was a kid. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it, the thing is, it can change colors. And this is what they're showing. It's like, look at that. This gizmo can make it yellow, orange, even red, purple. There's blue and black, too. Son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nick Fury. You're an awesome badass. If you're listening at home to this on, on the audio podcast through through iTunes, then you have no idea what we're talking about. This is why you need to join the live broadcast on Spreecast, because we're looking at a comic panel yeah. and it's pretty hilarious um there is one more question in the chat room john sutton says so what is colson clone android vision lmd a uh, part of me thinks life model decoy is too obvious at this point because like, they really they gave us the really stock answer which is yeah you know we faked his death so bring the avengers together ah uh, but he doesn't know does he oh he can never know Ooh, like that's yeah. really what that scene was and uh, I think everyone who reads comics knows Life Model Decoy, and therefore everyone making the show knows Life Model Decoy. And while that would be perfectly fair if they went there, I think it would almost be too obvious. And I'm wondering, you know, maybe he's a Skrull who got his brain rearranged, or he's a space phantom. He's a brainwashed Chitauri. Maybe. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Life Model Decoy is the obvious answer, but that's why I think it's not real. This shit just got way too nerdy for me. I was like, he's another body with Coulson's face <laughs> on it, with his brain, and boom. That's what he is. He's Nicolas Cage from Face Off. Oh, God. He's Nicolas Cage from Face Off. Done and done. He's a Doombot. He's Walter White after going through witness protection face modification. <laughs> oh, <laughs> which case he needs to die. <laughs> Oh, man, if they turned this into a Breaking Bad crossover, I think the internet would explode. Yeah. Yeah. Not the good way. Let's make no. it happen. Okay. Well, I think that that will wrap it up for this first regular episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Please write in and let us know what you thought of the pilot and what you think of this podcast. You can email us at shieldcast at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. And if you like the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast, please write us a review. That would really help us out a lot in terms of getting the word out about the show. 
And if you really like the show and you would like to financially support us, you can donate to us by going to filmgeekradio.com and clicking on the donate button. That money really helps us out and it goes towards helping us pay for hosting and bandwidth and covering all of the other costs that come with producing the show. Uh, You can also use our affiliates page to visit some of our partners, including Amazon. And anything you purchase from our affiliates, if you use our site to get there, we will get a small percentage of whatever you spend. We will get a couple of pennies. So you can buy some something for yourself, like an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coffee mug or t-shirt or boxer shorts or whatever, and you can help us out at the same time. As always, be sure to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, and our upcoming podcast all about the third season of Homeland. Agent Bibbs, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, you can find my reviews and ramblings at craveonline.com slash film. I'm in charge of the film channel over there. Uh, every week, I co-host the B-Movies podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. Please leave a review. And, uh, yeah, you can hear me on Shieldcast. You can hear me on KFWB 980 AM radio Friday mornings in Los Angeles. Yo. agent Gwen Reyes where can people find more of you you can find me always uh, on twitter forward slash real vixen r-e-e-l as well as realvixen.com and redcarpetcrush.com where I review uh, and do interviews of film television and uh, theater productions agent Rod Morrow where can people find you uh, you can find me on the blackgowtips.com. That's our podcast. We do five days a week. And uh, you can also find me um, on Twitter at Rodimus Prime. Make sure you guys who are listening to this uh, go to Spreecast and follow us on Spreecast uh, because you'll get an email every day that we uh about to go live. You get an email the day before and you get an email an hour before the show goes live. That way you can see all this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast beauty all up in your face. Yes, we are a bunch of beautiful people. Uh, you can find my film and TV criticism at moviemezzanine.com and patheos.com. You can also find me co-hosting a few other podcasts on Film Geek Radio. You can follow me on Twitter at writerandrew, and I hope that you do so so we can continue the conversation about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That will wrap it up for this episode. Agents, disassemble! This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!